Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. And Fast Money does begin right now, live from New York's Times Square. I am Brian Sullivan, in for Melissa Lee. Your traders tonight are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. All right, stocks were smoked most of the day, but they tried to make a valiant comeback in the last hour. Does that mean the comeback to trade war fears may be finally dying down, or is it going to get worse from here? A top technician will be here to tell you where to hide out if you think more selling is to come. Plus, the consumer caught right in the crosshair, the threat of rising tariffs looming. And we've got a pair you have got to hear from. Former JCPenney CEO Alan Questrom and the consumer king himself, restaurant mogul Tillman Fertitta, on if the consumer is really spending less. A big hour ahead. Let us get right to the market sell-off. The Dow at one point down 450 points on the lows before racing to make a comeback. We still close down 286 points. That's only 1.1%. But the Dow now on track for its fifth straight week of losses. Something, my friends, that has not happened in eight years. Mm. The market taking few prisoners today. Investors in small caps hurt again. They tumbled more than 2%. Crude oil, a bear market. Crude oil down over 5%. And the 10-year yield at its lowest level since October of 2017. But it is also important to remember the S&P 500 is still higher than it was just one month ago. The question with all this information and numbers, Guy Adam, mm-hmm. what do we do now? I love we say, we say welcome. We say welcome. Exactly. That's what I we do. We welcome say welcome. Sully. You're a handsome Sully. man, by the way. Did I know. Anybody mention that to you? Thank you. Yeah, so day. what do you do now? Listen, I still <laughs> think. He looks in the mirror and says, Brian, you're a handsome man. <laughs> and you're a good man. Yes. So the December 24th low in the S&P, the recent high in the S&P, 29.50. I've said this, I'll say it again. I think a 50% correction of that move is still in order. And that gets us to 26.50, thereabouts, in the S&P, which give or take is about 170 handles from where we are. That sounds catastrophic. I don't think it is. I actually think it would be rather constructive. I don't think the VIX is properly high enough to represent what some of the headwinds are out there. And I still think there's probably another 7 or 8% to the downside, which gets us right into the sweet spot for a rally. We we talk all the time about the essentially the debt markets being smarter than the equity markets with all due respect to the equity folks and let's not heap too much praise on those good looking fixed income folks but the bottom line here is look at what's going on in the bond market we ticked down to 229 on 10-year yields we're back to uh, essentially uh, it was about two years ago two and a half years ago ultimately i think the most important point are those flash pmis for may for the u.s economy which printed three-year lows on services and manufacturing pmis those are leading indicators those are giving you a snapshot of just how much CEOs are pulling back. Look, I think the impact mathematically of the trade war on the U.S. GDP right now is very, very small. The big issue is absolutely the impact on CEOs and on confidence. And you saw that in those numbers, and that caved yields in the bond market. Don't you think they're going to have to be forced, though? My my opinion is they're going to have to be forced to to have workarounds. They're going to have to be forced to figure stuff out. Who's they? What do you mean they? CEOs. Okay. So pick it up on what Tim said. Just follow us. So now, (laughs) if the CEOs do those workarounds or they figure out how to source from different areas, that's... That's a good thing. No? They've always been able to do that. I think, uh, let's go micro a little bit in the market. First off, Karen, though, and again, to your point, Tim, on bond yields, if you watch technically today, the intraday tick, as soon as we broke 2-3, we turned around. 
Bond yields started to move back higher, and stocks immediately turned around. Karen, is the bond market right now ultimately in charge of the equity market? I don't know if the bond market's in charge of the equity market. I think, you know, this trade where if if the PMI data is right and it's not just, oh, we had been, you know, uh, sort of over building inventory prior to what could have, you know, worsening trade wars. If if that's maybe the Fed is more in play than we have thought. Right. So I got to think that the chance now of a Fed cut is higher. I've read cut, right, uh, is going up. That would be good for the equity markets. I don't know if that means the bond markets are, are in front of the equity markets. I do think, though, Tim is right, when credit starts to trade really terribly, and it hasn't yet. It, in, at the end of December, we saw credit markets mm-hmm. really just cave. cave and get really illiquid and wide. We're not seeing that yet. But I think that might be. I, I think you do have a shot, and, and I don't want to overstate this, where Brexit became just a, a tagline where most people that know it know, understand it or understand the options throughout Brexit, but they're not overwhelmingly concerned anymore as we were the first day of Brexit. I think we're getting there with trade, where people understand it, they figure it out. Yes, it's impactful. Yes, it's a lot more impactful than Brexit. But I think people are saying now, you know what? Ring me when we figure this out. Let's do the workarounds, and then we'll see where we land. Uh, But there's two ways to look at this market, Guy. Number one is, yes, we've been down five weeks in a row in the Dow, first time in eight years. Things are looking wobbly. The other side is S&P 500 that's still up 13% this year, not including dividends. Overall, still pretty good. The market has room to drop, does it not? I I think it does, absolutely. I mean, I hear what everybody's saying, and I understand that uh, if the Fed isn't played, to Karen's point, that should theoretically be bullish. I'm not certain it will be this time, and that makes for that's what makes a market, in my opinion. With that said, to your point, I think the complacency out there is it epic proportions. I don't think people believe the market can go lower for all the reasons we talked about, which is why I think the market's going lower. You know, you look at some of these companies reported, they weren't gangbuster earnings. They were okay in an interesting backdrop. And I think this China thing gets worse before it gets better. And I'll say again, and I've said this for a while, I think we're further away from a deal now with the Chinese than we were 15 months ago. The the, the problem here is you're now starting to see commodities cave, too. So the knock-on effect, actually, and also then high beta EM currencies are starting to blow out. So you are seeing, I know Karen talked about, we haven't seen the debt blow out yet. There's this triple B threat, which is very, very important. I I, I just, so I I agree with everything we're saying here in Mm -hmm. terms of complacency on the equity side. Look, just because he defended 2811 on the S&P, which was very important today, doesn't mean that if you look at equity markets, they're, they're completely missing that the leading indicators of the equity markets, whether it's semis, look at FedEx. I mean, FedEx tells you something awful. And I know FedEx has had a couple of their own operational issues, but the bottom line is I think it's one of the best run companies in the world. Uh, that doesn't feel too good. And I think that is telling us. But that. if we are worried about the overall economy slowing down, there are quivers or arrows in the quiver of China and us as well. China's got trillions in currency reserves. They're already beginning to stimulate. To your point, retailers are now going to be able to adjust. If they think it's going to go on for a long time, they can make the adjustments they need to we can cut rates. There's, there's ammunition out there. There is, but let me ask you this. Will the market give them a pass while they say this quarter is going to be bad because our costs are going to be out of line because we're you know, trying to change our, our supply chain and that will take some time and so we're going to miss? I think stocks will trade down But does, the, does I, the Fed, though, to your point where you started off, the, does the Fed trump all of those other worries with easier rates? I mean, it's, it's very hard not to be a buyer of the equity market where rates are right now. But it's very hard. It, it's interesting because, you know, we've had people all over the place telling you when the Fed stops cutting, um, it's actually a great time for markets. We've also heard, and, and they've both been right, when the Fed stops 
stops, excuse me, hiking, um, it's a great time for equities. When the Fed stops hiking and actually starts cutting, it's actually a great time for equities. It's not a great time for equities. I mean, you can make an argument, and I'll say this one more time, a growth scare is much worse than an inflation yeah. scare. I'd love to see the Fed hiking right now in an environment where it was deserved. But Maybe I, that's not I want to go back to Karen. You made a very important point, and, I think, and I'd like to hear everybody's thoughts on this. If big box store comes out and says, we're going to miss our numbers for the next two or three quarters because we're permanently changing our supply chain, be patient. Will the market give them a pass? Not, not, not now. right away. No, not right now. Right. I mean, we're not in earnings season yet. I think we'll start to see that in July. And right now, just macro things that are making the market trade, not very much fundamental uh, earnings. Permanently changing the supply chain is such a fundamental. I mean, that is such a huge move that I agree with. I think they would be punished for that. They can't do it. I don't think they can. I mean, to act like there's a workaround, I I don't think you're oversimplifying this, Steve. But I think it's at this point, it's crazy to think we can just decide we're not going to deal with China on a global basis. All right. There is a growing feeling that this market is also driven and dominated by something other than what we just talked about. The charts. As I noted, as soon as the 10-year yield bounced off 2.3%, the S&P 500 began to turn around. But what do the charts say about places maybe to hide in this market? Well, let's go to the charts with TradingAnalysis.com founder, Todd Gordon. Todd. Hey, Brian, I actually have an interesting chart on the next one. But first, let's get the context of where we are in the S&P. Me and my short 20-year career, I've never seen the 200-day so relevant. Uh, We seem to get a series of triple tests before we finally decide which way to go. So we had one here, one here. Back here in 2018, we had a single test. Are we in for another kind of back and forth, choppy, volatile trade here uh, around the 2800 level? The actual level is 2777. So I do think we're going to get that kind of push lower. I am bearish short term on the market, but I don't know. I don't think the market's just going to let go. I think it's going to be choppy for the rest of the summer. And if you extend this chart out, it might take us into August and September. And okay, maybe then we can get some conviction. Um, from the S&P, let's look at yields. Uh, same thing with the 200-day. With the it's, you know, it's not a definitive level. It's not a floor or a ceiling. It's an area of interest. Um, so we're up around 2.3% here. The old lows, about 2%, I do think will come into play. That's a typical overshoot that you see at the 200-day. Before we advance past this chart, just something over the last 10 days that I thought was interesting, you guys were talking at the top of the show, what's leading? Is it yields or is it S&Ps? If you really zoom in here, as we just made a new low relative to 10 days ago in the 10-year yield, the S&Ps have not yet broken that May 15th low. So we're starting to see yields starting to suggest stocks might want to continue to break down. Remember, that's that 2800 down to the 200 days. So I do think near term, you can be bearish. So if you do want to get some protection here, TLT is an easy stock that you can trade tracks 20 plus year treasuries. It does look like we have a little bit of a kind of a head and shoulders forming here. Again, that 200 day is shown here in the weekly. I do think we'll be able to get back up to that 130 mark. I hold TLT and I'd like to add kind of on a breakthrough that level. Um, if you do want to kind of hide out one sector that's shown good relative strength as of uh, just recently here is healthcare XLV. Um, this right here, this orange line, this is the relative strength of healthcare into the S&P. As that line is dropping, that first one in the equation, XLV, is underperforming the S&P. But what you've just seen recently here over the last month is that relative strength indicator starting to move up here. Healthcare starting to outperform here as the S&P starting to move lower. Is that a long-term phenomenon and this ratio can continue higher? We shall see. I just added UNH to my portfolio just to throw a name out there. So uh, maybe some... some uh, Safety and uh, lack of volatility can be found there. Great stuff. Todd Gordon, thank you very much, guys. Let's trade this and Guy Adami. Yes, sir. Yes, United sir. Health. 
rings a bell for me. I think you were a little bit early on that. Fast no, 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 no. I mean, we've all been talking about it. it was we? What? Was it a fast pitch, possibly of yours? Fast or power the power pitch? pitch yeah. Which I think we have a power pitch this evening, Brian. You're going to be. You're going to love this power pitch love tonight. That I'll say this again. I know UNH was down a percent today, but it's bounced basically off 220 in a straight line over the last couple weeks. And why is that? Well, one of the reasons is it's trading at a trough valuation historically. The other reason is you don't hear all these cats in white in the White House and in Washington D.C talking about health care that much anymore. I think the bullseye is off their back. I think it continues to go higher from here. Uh, Catwoman, by the way, I was a particular fan. So if mm-hmm. you think about J&J, that's also been very defensive. That was actually a power pitch of mine. Uh, one of the things I talked about is their pharma pipeline actually shows significant, relative to the peers, growth out the second half of the year yeah. into next year. Medical devices better. J&J is defen- It's proven it the last couple The only days. problem is, is that I agree with you that they've been distracted in the White House. They've been distracted uh, in Congress. But if they ever get back to it, which they will, Will, these stocks will turn around. I, I do like UNH, though, off the bottom, how it's If they get back to what? To, to get getting back, back to, to it's a bipartisan issue. Oh, okay, of, well, we'll of, see, of because I mean, you're being optimistic. The president called Nancy Pelosi a disaster today. Right. So uh, Not exactly sure not the first time. they're going to get back to work. In a kind of a bipartisan deal there. But great stuff, by the way, both of you. UNH, you know, he couldn't let you have it. He had to say, well, my fast pitch. Well, no, he, yeah. <laughs> we, I power pitch, he fast pitches. That's the difference. There you go. All right, coming up, we're going to uh, slow jam. If tariffs that. are beginning to hurt the American consumer, there is one man who will know before anybody else, Consumer King, Tillman Fertitta, and he is here exclusively. Plus, Tesla showing a little sign of life today, but it's still down 15% of the past week, and there's one troubling sign things could, could be about to get worse. The top analysts will explain. We are live in Times Square. Much more fast money right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. All right, welcome back. Fast Buddies Tesla showing signs of life today after CEO Elon Musk wrote in an email to employees that the company is close to its production target numbers for the Model 3. But Tesla has a very long drive ahead of it to make up the losses. Stock is down 15% in the past week and has lost half its value in just nine months. Let's bring in Bruce Clark, lead auto analyst, at Moody's. Bruce, you've got an equity threat. You've got a potential debt threat for Tesla. How does the Tesla story ultimately play out? Oh, how does it play out? Well, from our standpoint, uh, the story was really captured in the rating, which is a BAA, which is a B3, which is a very low rating, and we've got a negative outlook on it right now. I th- think one of the things that's very important to keep in mind is that Tesla's got a pretty good liquidity position. After that capital raise they did, They've got about $4.5 billion of cash. We think that they need about a billion dollars to just run the business, another half a billion dollars to pay off a maturing uh, convertible bond, and that gives them $3 billion left over. If you assume that they just burn about a half a billion dollars um, every, uh, every quarter, that gives them some pretty long runway. So from our standpoint, the B3 rating is still appropriate, and that cash position does give them uh, well, Bruce, a good amount fair, of Bruce, to be fair, to be fair, now listen, they could maybe issue more debt, issue more equity, but at, cr- at their current credit structure mm-hmm. and income statement, you just talked about six quarters. That's not that long of a runway. When you talk about a company that's really got to address a certain number of issues, production, getting the pricing sorted out, 
that's a pretty long amount of time. And they needed that cushion, and that's a very important cushion to have. The more important thing is to get the demand level sorted out. What, what do you think about, and how do you value the contingent liabilities and the supplier obligations, which I think are extraordinary, are, are in the excess of a few billion? And there, there's mm-hmm. certainly some argument that they've been doing everything they can do to rob from Peter to pay Paul on the supplier side. And you can make an argument that if suppliers start turning them down, they've got also liquidity issues. If suppliers start paying them, but I tell you, having that cash on hand makes a big difference. Um, I also think that both the markets and the suppliers will be looking very closely at uh, what the next quarter brings in terms of delivery levels. I think that's going to be a very important landmark for them. But if, if they continue to have stress and continue to have difficulty, having that cushion is very important. At the end of the day, um, whether you're a strong company or a weak company, if you start running out of cash, that's when you run into problems. And I think the capital raise was very important, gives them a very important cushion. And having that runway gives them time to begin addressing some of the issues that people are very concerned about. Let me ask you, at the end of that runway, 21-22, they start to have some major maturities due. Yes, multiple two-plus billion dollars between mm-hmm. 21 and 22. Right. So... I mean, that's, the there's, no de- there's no denying that there's a lot of risk in Tesla. We think that risk is captured in that B3 rating. We also have a negative outlook, which indicates that if they don't get some of the things, things addressed within the next several quarters, the rating could go down further. So there's no denying do, that Tesla has super when, when you look at your rating, I know you're a credit guy, but do you, do you look at the equity at all as a reference point at least? That's an important source of information. I mean, we try to look at all the pieces of information that have data in them. We talk with the company, we talk with suppliers, we talk with competitors. Certainly you have a lot of very important people, uh, important smart people in the equity market. We look at their research. We have a different objective in doing that analysis, but they have some very important insight. And we'll certainly look at that, but it doesn't drive our decisions. Bruce, it was a real pleasure to have you on Bruce Clark. Thank you, Thank you very much, Great. Bruce. Thanks a lot. You, you know, listen, it, it's, Guy, to, to Bruce's point, I mean, you look at the equity as one part of reference. They've got the negative outlook on there. Six quarters, to me, with all the, doesn't sound like that long of a runway. No, and it didn't sound like that to Adam Jonas yesterday, who said it's basically a distressed credit now, restructuring story. And, and good for Tim, who's been really on this for quite some time. And in terms of where I think the stock is going, I'll say it again. You know, the end of 2016, it was $175 stock. That, to me, is a line in the sand, and that's where it seems to be headed. I, I just think, if you listen to Elon Musk, he himself said... T- you know, 10 months, effectively. By the way, Elon Musk, uh, you know, whether this letter was leaked or not, is this another form of communicating outside of your SEC requirement? I, I don't know. But when you say we're almost at 7,000 a week, I annualize that pretty simple math. That's 350,000. And that's just getting there now. And they've guided recently for 360 to 400,000. Yeah. How do you do that? And again, if you listen to Bruce, who's now gone, so I won't goodbye the guest. The bottom line here is if demand is falling off, that's an issue that they haven't even And, looked and at. another huge thing for me is when you start to see these top 10 holders actually liquidating. They never liquidated before. Now they're starting to, to liquidate, and that's a big deal because they, they were carved out in cement. Yeah. They were not liquidating. Karen, Tesla's side, the Uber, Uber's price targets, I think there's nine analysts that cover Uber, mm-hmm. are 42 to 53. That's the range low to high. Mm-hmm. The Tesla range, take out that $10 that we had the other day, is 150 to 530. If the sell side community has got a $400 gap in what they all, smart women and men, uh-huh. what does that tell you about the visibility? That there isn't any, right? And it, it, so there isn't any. We know that. And then there also is the question of, all right, how much time do they have? And so the debt starting to trade really poorly. I think we have a chart here. You know, the debt is now yielding uh, yield to maturity well north of 9%. That gets to be very expensive debt and difficult to issue new debt 
So there's some who just don't think it's going to survive. I don't know why 10 isn't zero. Why does it stop at 10? It's mm -hmm. really effectively zero, but Agree. it's a big range. Well, maybe they can't put a zero on there, right? Because okay. that okay. says something, right? I mean, it's zero right. has a, it's, it's a big number for having no value, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yes. That, that headline to that, I mean, again, that to me is so much the story here. When Elon Musk sends something out and lobs something out there, by the way, I don't think that that even worked today. But, I, you know, you can make an argument it did. All right. For more on Tesla's troubles and what CEO Elon Musk told employees today, head over to CNBC.com. It's one of our most read. Still ahead, have the tariffs begun to hit the consumer? Former CEO of JCPenney and Consumer King Tillman Fertitta are here next. And later, Google shares down 10% in a month. But Mr. Gayadami says right now could be your best chance to buy. It is your fast pitch, and you get to rate him. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. The average retail stock is down nearly 11% this month, with only three retailers, Target, Costco, and AutoZone, higher in the month of May. But is the market overreacting to the threat of higher tariffs? Alan Questrom is the former CEO of JCPenney, and he joins us now from Dallas. Uh, Alan, thank you very much for joining us. I, you know, listen, it's, the tariffs are getting all the attention, the threat of higher costs on the consumer, but yet companies are coming out and saying, well, it's the weather, it's supply chains. What do you make? How much are tariffs the reason why we are seeing retail underperform the overall market? Well, certainly this last quarter had nothing to do with tariffs, or if anything, very little. If they go forward with the next uh, $300 billion. I think that's going to be much more effective to retail, in effect, retail because it's shoes, apparel, electronics. Those are really would be a big deal. I don't think that's the real issue. You look at uh, companies like Target and Walmart, they had a terrific performance. They're, they're bricks and mortar stores. They, they have a grocery business. Their grocery business has been very strong. They, but they've worked at many, many different things over the last couple of years to make their business better, including willing to say we're not going to make the kind of profit we made in the last year and over the next year or two years. And that allowed them to do a lot of things that improved their business. And like two, three years later, their business is doing terrific. I think what Brian Cornell said today was, or yesterday, was that he really is very positive going forward, even with the tariffs. 
They, they will have to make adjustments. One of the great funds about the retail business is we always have to keep making adjustments. And the most important adjustment is to our customer as she changes. And she certainly has changed. You know, we've gone from a tailored business to a casual business. You know, and now we have you know, people are doing all different kinds of things. We have a millennial customer that's different than baby boomer. So that's the fun of the business. Uh, Mr. Questman, Karen, let me ask something. You have been at big, you know, uh, lower end department stores, medium and very high end. What is the future of department stores? I think those who execute well and create excitement and bring newness into the store and present it in an exciting way, customers want to go see. Customers do like to go into stores. Most new ideas come out of the stores and then they end up getting on the Internet. But I think you have to be able to come up with constantly new ideas to bring and entertain the customer when she comes in. Quite frankly, you go into some of the stores today, I don't know why anybody would go into them. But I think Target or Walmart, both of those companies have really made their stores much more exciting with more private label, more impressive presentations, quick delivery, a lot of different things that makes it a, a nice experience for the customer. Many department stores have not done that. So I think the opportunity for the department stores is to really go back and rethink who their customer is, what the changes are, and how can I better satisfy here, which I don't think they've done a good job at. So, Alan, it, does this seem to, you sound as if this tariff <laughs> issue that we're going through or, or might be going through with the retailers is ultimately going to be a positive for the group when they figure out ways around it. Am I hearing that correctly? Well, I think if, if the tariffs don't get solved this year, then I think you got a real problem. And I don't want to harken back to the 30s, but that was a tariff problem, too. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we have two intelligent economies, one China, one the United States. And I think that they're going to come to their senses. They don't want to see a disaster. Because if you start shifting your suppliers out of China to Vietnam and Cambodia, you ain't coming back. And so they need this business long term. This is kind of a who's going to strike first, and I, hopefully they're going to say, let's get together and make this work. Because if they do, both con company, countries really benefit because they need both, both, both are needed in the long term. There's huge populations in China to be satisfied. The United, United States economy is the largest, but China is going to be the largest in 10 years. So we need to be able to be partnered with them and they vice versa. Alan Questrom joining us live from Dallas. Alan, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Nice to be with you. Well, perhaps no person in America has their finger on the pulse of the consumer as much as your next guest. Tillman Fertitta is one of America's most successful entrepreneurs. As the CEO and sole owner of Landry's, he owns more than 600 restaurants, the Golden Nugget Casino chain, the Post Oak Hotel in Houston, and oh yeah, the Houston Rockets. He joins us now by phone. Tillman, welcome to the program. Thanks for calling in. It is a nine iron shot to six of your restaurants just from we sit right now. From where you sit, are you seeing any kind of a consumer-led slowdown in the U.S. economy? Not at all, Brian. I mean, the consumer is still out there spending money. The, the, the problem with uh, restaurants right now or so many other businesses is, is in, inflation is crazy. But the way the Fed looks at it, there is no inflation. But the consumer sees it. They know when they go buy a hotel room or rent a car or go eat a, a, a steak in a restaurant that, that uh, they pay a lot more. But, but, but the government continues to say that it isn't. And what's hard for restaurants right now is that is that labor costs are going up with this minimum wage is hitting a ridiculous number with no tip credit and, and uh, occupancy costs. Uh, landlords still think that their property is worth more than anything else. And, and, and for the first time ever, proteins are going up as, as, as much as everything else on your menu. So it's, uh, 
the consumer spending money. But, you know, it's interesting, autos right now for the first time or in a long time are lower, but maybe that's because of highest the highest interest rates in a long time. But, you know, it, the, the consumer adjusts. Remember when $3 gas yeah. came in? You know, it, it takes time for the consumer to adjust. Well, that's the key point. And I, but I worry, though, Tillman, you just mentioned all the stuff that you face, the higher rents in New York City, higher wage costs. There already is far more than a 15% cost inflation on the restaurant side. We're talking about 15% more on the consumer goods side. Do you think that may be the tariff straw that breaks the camel's back? Or do you believe the consumer can adjust, can absorb? Well, I mean, Donald Trump's trying to fix the, 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 the tariffs inequality, and everybody is going to have to maybe pay a little more, and, uh, which it's still the right thing to do because of the amount of dollars that's going to come into the U.S., and that's why he's willing to take care of the farmers because they're not going to be buying as much overseas, which at the same time, if that happens, that could also bring our costs down, which we need. But uh, it's... it's Tariffs aren't a huge positive for the country, but once again, we'll adjust. It's not a positive for the for the consumer, but it is a positive for the country. You, you had to do something with the inequality of tariffs, and and uh, you know the other thing that's changing a lot is home delivery. Is that you know to 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 help these construction costs, you're going to start seeing people build smaller units. I think you're going to see that in retail and restaurants. Uh, everything is takeout now. Our our takeout business is is almost 8% of our revenue, which is just a crazy number. But that's just what people want to do today. They want to sit at home and, and watch Netflix and Hulu and, uh, and, Hulu and Amazon and, and, and have their food brought in. Hey, Tillman, thanks for joining us. It's Tim Seymour. So I think you've asked, answered the part of the question that I was going to say about are you in favor of what Washington is doing right now? The other part of this, you're a CEO. How is this changing how you're planning for your business right now? Are you being more cautious? We are being a little more cautious, but part of that is is that, you know, history repeats itself, and we're at a 10-year run that's been unbelievable, and, and, and there's a lot happening right now, so, so your, your guard is up, and you're waiting for the consumer to, you know, just shut it down, but there's no reason right now. I mean, the, the unemployment in this country is crazy, and the demand for employees in all industries, you know, for the construction industry, there is no employees. Even for our industry, uh, waiters and, and, and cooks, because of Uber and Lyft, people able to work their own hours. Uh, it's, just, it's just amazing that in a few-year period, you know, how the, the, the whole, whole employed landscape has just changed with so many different options for the con- an, an individual out there. That they, there's so many places that they can go work and make so much more money than they did before. Uh, Mr. Fertitta, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks for being here. Let me ask you, when you talk about the consumer being able to adjust, do you see that as them maybe going out to eat one less time a month or each bill maybe being trying to order a little less? Or how do you think they make those adjustments? I don't know that they really make the adjustment. I think that, you know, they're also making more money at the same time because, you know, wages are spiking. But but it's just hard sometimes mentally more than even how it's going to affect your pocketbook that all of a sudden I'm paying this much for this. But nobody stopped driving any less, at least down here in Texas, when gasoline hit $3 and then it just became the norm. You know, in all the casinos, the casinos are fine. 
uh, our, we're doing as much business as, as we ever have in the casinos, which has been a good run. But I could see a meltdown there because of the Opco Propco setup where all of a sudden your, your rents become so high that uh, you don't even have the, the money to keep the property nice, and therefore you can't do the capital improvements. So, uh, you know, that's something that so many people are doing in the real estate industry now that I think is going to blow up that industry in the years to come. But I don't think that's right around the corner. All right. Not right around the corner. We do. Hey, listen, right around the corner, I'll, maybe I'll convince these guys to tell me to do yeah, the Landry's be, Crawl. Done. We'll, go to, we'll go to Bubba Gump. We'll go Dos Caminos. We'll end up at Mastro's. you got Strip House and Bills. That I don't think You're I buying. missed. Did I miss You're any? Buying. Tillman? Oh, I'm buying. Brian. Yeah, not you, Tillman. Brian. Yeah. I mean, hopefully Tillman will send his credit card. <laughs> Tillman, it was a real pleasure, by the way. Tillman's book, Shut Up and Listen, Hard Business Truths so That Will Help You Succeed, is out in September. Tillman, we look forward to it. Thanks very much for joining us. So there, I mean, this is a guy, listen, he's got restaurants literally geographically all over the country, gambling, hotels, high end, middle end, and he's not seeing yet the consumer slowdown, but the market seems to be telling a different story. Well, he's not seeing the consumer slowdown because until the last couple of days, the stock market's basically been on a ramp to the upside. And in my opinion, all consumer confidence is, is an overlay of the S&P 500. So I think if the market were to dump, you'd see how quickly people stop spending. With that said, he did say many interesting things, not least of which there is inflation. Either the Fed refuses to acknowledge it or they just don't see it. That, to me, is the most interesting thing. To your point, Karen's point earlier, you know what? These tariffs, cost of goods go up. That's inflation. Maybe the Fed then has to raise rates. It's crazy, but it's not out of the it, question. It is a bizarre. Listen, it, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but there is a bizarre argument here that somebody brought up to me, and I can't remember who it was. And it wasn't Tillman. They were saying, we're complaining about the 15% tariff crushing the U.S. consumer, but yet people supported the $15 minimum wage, as we should. No one's knocking that. I'm saying is you can't have it both ways. Wages, if they go up, costs are also going to go up. But the, the, the problem is that a bad thing? No, look, it's a great thing for people that have been living below uh, sustenance level. And I think there's a lot of people in this country that have been. Um, I, I also think that businesses are naturally going to react like consumers will. They're going to hire less people. They're going to be uh, making shorter shifts. And I think, it, look, as long as the, the, the payroll numbers are where they are, everything is great. But you, it's hard to argue we're not at peak labor. It's hard to argue that the job market can get better than it is right now. Which means incrementally worse. What, Steve, I think what Tillman's point is, is that you're paying people more, and that's a good thing. Prices are going to adjust as well, right. but at least right now, right. wages are also going up. Right. My take away was we didn't have a cell phone bill a decade ago. We didn't right. really. I mean, a few people did. Now we just it's a hundred dollars a month. The we consumer, never argue my, about my it. My takeaway from from him is yes, there are some headwinds, but right now things are good. The consumer's good. People are spending money, and interest rates are lower. Right. So if you buy a home. That's a significant savings from where we used to be. I actually was saying I think the Fed could cut. No, I know you were. And I think and that, and my point was I don't think they okay. I think they've they found themselves in a position where they got to go the other way. Okay. I, I guess the point I was trying to make, Karen, is that with, with wages on the rise, right. with interest rates down, with other things happening, we've seen the consumer already in many ways absorb a 15 percent mm-hmm. Tariff, right, but we don't know that not on not on shoes and toys, but on cell phone bills and maybe restaurant bills and whatever, because of all the things Tillman talked about. And we're still OK. The world hasn't ended. Right. But we're looking at an uncertain number of tariff percentage and and I don't know, 200 to 500 billion dollars, depending on where they end up in the trade war. That's that's the uncertainty that I think it's warranted to be a little cautious. And that gives us something to talk about every day, doesn't it? Mm. it does. Thank so, goodness, where Brian. Will we be? You, you know, what? you'd find something. Ha, ha, ha.
at Ty. I think you'd be fine. <laughs> Hopefully the last time I'll talk about it. All right, still ahead. Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet sinking into correction territory or worse as the fang trade continues to get crushed. But Guy Adam says one of those names could make a major comeback at your fast pitch. And it's Apple Code Red. The stock shedding $100 billion in market cap this month and now falling into a bear market. One trader, though, betting on another double-digit drop. Those details when Fast Money returns. Guy Adami's at the plasma to give you his fast pitch on one of the bang names. Guy, take it away. Good to be with you this evening, Brian. I love the power pitch. And a lot of people at home will say, wait a second. You started the show saying the market's going down another 7%. Why would you be pitching anything? That's a fair question. But in this case, I'm going to pitch Alphabet. And the reason why is the stock's already about 10% off its recent high. That is point number one. Stock is a key support. And I'm going to show a chart in a minute as to why that is. But remember back on December 24th, that was trading $1,000. Recently traded up to 1300 The level we're at now, 1150 50% correction, 10% drop. Number two, Tesla's woes, Waymo's gains. What does that mean? Well, Tesla's going to go this autonomous route. You know what? Maybe they're not as close as we think. Maybe Waymo is way more closer <laughs> than everybody else. I think people are underestimating the value of Waymo. Don't sleep on Waymo. Number three, and Karen's going to love this. They have a huge cash hoard. Depending on the metrics you use, might even be better than Apple's. I think they have about $168 billion or so in cash. I think it comes out to about $160 a share. That's significant. Now, they have been penalized for it because they haven't put it to use. But guess what? It's going to be a positive for them. And let's look at that chart that I mentioned as they say, slide it, Earl. Brian, you remember that. Recent low, that one there, recent high. Right here is a 50% correction of that move. Puts you at 11.50. I think the market is now behind Google. I think Google's ahead of the market. I think Google will sort of hang around here as the market goes down. That's when you want to buy Alphabet. I got a question for you, Gene. Go ahead. A nice pitch, first Thank of all. Thank you. So, all right, so you talked about where you think a floor might be. Where do you think a top might be? Well, you know, then a lot of people say we have major double tops basically at 1300 and that's the case. But if we can somehow hold here, despite, I think, the market going lower, I think the next quarter, if Google gets their act together, and they will, by the way, I think we ratchet right through that $1,300 level. So I think this has been a short-term double top. I think that's going to stay in place. But I think by next quarter, as we get through all this nonsense, you're going to see the stock accelerate north of the all-time double tops. Wow, all-time double tops. All right, no more questions. It is now time to vote. Are you... Buying Guy Dami's pitch on Alphabet. We'll go around the horn first. Tim. I'm a buyer. I'm a buyer of Guy's Google pitch. And, and to me, Google is one of these names. It's hard to understand how a company who's got a recurring revenue stream and growth of 20% effectively on a core business that I think exists in perpetuity trades at this kind of a discount. Maybe that's a problem in itself. I'm a buyer. All right. Karen Feinerman. Yes. Well, you know what, Guy? You had me at stock and key support. Tesla was equals weight. Mo Gage, huge cash hoard valuation. And Fibonacci <laughs> retracement. Whoa. So, yes. It's my biggest position. Wow. Two check marks. Triple play. Triple play. Across the board. I, I, I do like a 50% retracement. That's 11.29. What was the low today? 11.29. What is the 100-day moving average? 11.50. You are stuck right there. I think you do blast through by Google. Wow. Alphabet, sorry. 
the desk has spoken. Mm-hmm. But what about all of you fine people at home? Are you buying guys pitch for Google slash Alphabet? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later on in the show. Plus, Boeing falling again today after the FAA said there is no end to the 737 MAX grounding in sight. We'll tell you what that might mean for the stock and for airlines in general when we come back. All right, welcome back. Boeing shares down again today, more than two bucks, as the Federal Aviation Administration met with regulators from around the world about the 737 MAX airplane. The grounding forcing major airlines to cancel all flights with that jet through the summer. FAA head Daniel Elwell spoke to CNBC's Phil LeBeau about this earlier today. There isn't a timetable for bringing the 737 MAX back to flight. There's only one criteria when we're done with our analysis and it's safe to let the 737 MAX fly. We are expecting the details of this meeting later on this evening, but with no end to a grounding in sight. What does this mean for Boeing and the airlines generally, Tim? Look, I I know early on in the postscript of this situation, I was very clear, hey, you know, Boeing, there's nothing, you know, I I think we've seen this before and I think you can actually own the stock. Um, What I'd say is different is I think this is happening in a very bad market dynamic. I actually believe that what's happening right now with the FAA is exactly what we saw with software fixes, you know, in 2013, for example. So um, I don't think it's any different, quite honestly. This does not show, hopefully, any insensitivity to what's happened. It's just the fact is they've dealt with these types of issues with the FAA before there's a process. This is what we're going through. Boeing, arguably, Steve, the the most important stock. And listen, I know we don't look at the Dow. I get it. Professionals don't look at the Dow. But America does. And it's a price-weighted index. Mm-hmm. Boeing, arguably the most important stock in America right now. You know where else it's important? It's the number one holding in the XLI, which is the industrial ETF, which is uh, performed year-to-date 17%. That's a shocker to me. I didn't realize how well industrials, in the face of everything that we're looking at, have performed. I don't think the worst is over for Boeing. But I think, uh, look, at, look at Southwest, LUV. That stock is up 9% year-to-date. <laughs> That one had the largest exposure to the 737 MAX. So if this one, I think this is your proxy. When you start to see LUV withstand level and rally, I think that's your proxy for the 737 MAX woes. Watch Southwest. Yes. Watch it, Brian. <laughs> As a you. Let me watch. just add one more thing. Though. <laughs> Boeing is you know, a potential poster child. If they want to hit us, If China wants to hit us really where it hurts, Boeing is the place to go, and the stock's not cheap. Aside from the issues with the 737 MAX, that's, I think, Mm -hmm. a bigger potential overhang. Yeah, possibly. Listen, but the reality is, like Jim Cramer's pointed out many times, I mean, with the demand growth in China, they have to buy Boeing airplanes. They don't have a choice. If they don't want to fly, I mean, Airbus doesn't make enough. They're developing their own jet, which looks a lot like the 737. Go figure. But, but But they need... Boeing. They're not going to stop buying jets. What are they going to do, take the bus? No, but they expect to be the big, the, the number three in this. And I, and I think that's part of the dynamic. Over time. All right, Boeing, a very important stock, obviously, at 350 plus bucks a share. All right, coming up, Apple down again today. Another important name, now tracking for its third straight week of losses. There's something in the chart, though, that suggests maybe it's on the move. We'll tell you which way when Fast Money returns. Mm-hmm. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Apple getting cut to the core, the trade war ratcheting up. Apple has now lost more than $100 billion in market value this month. 
And one options trader is betting that that pain is only just beginning. Mike Coe's in Las Vegas, and he's got the options action on Apple. Mike, what are they betting on? Yeah, so um, not surprisingly, we did see above average options activity today across the board in the market, probably about 15% above average volume due to today's volatility. Apple was one of the names that saw above average put volume. One of the trades that stuck out to me was something I saw earlier this morning. The September 160 puts, somebody spent about $5.30 to buy a little over 2,800 of those as a block. Ultimately, throughout the day, they continued to trade. Close to 5,000 ended up trading by the end of the day. So that's an outlay of about $2.5 million in premium. And what the options traders are betting on there is a decline in Apple's price below that 160 strike by September expiration. That would represent a decline of 14% over the course of the next four months just for that trade to break even at expiration. Now, of course, if you happen to own those puts and the stock declined, let's say, 10% within the course of the next three or four weeks, those puts will increase in value. But it's notable because we don't commonly see trades on puts in Apple that are actually betting on, on significant moves to the downside. Usually, you're looking for more muted activity in a name like that. In, in terms of actual impact on Apple, uh, China is, you know, this dynamic to me is not as big of a deal as the market wants to play it out. If China truly throws Apple into the political box, I think this is a dynamic where uh, Apple still has some more room to go. At this point, to me, this is way more than it deserved. Yeah, you got a price target at 213 on Apple. Analysts are going to have to start bringing it down or make it. We'll see what happens. All right, Mike, thank you very much. For more options action, check out the full show, which is every Friday night at 530 p.m. Eastern time right up next. Your final trades. All right, it is time to get the results of our Twitter poll for guys. Fast pitch on Google. And boy, this does not happen often. But cue the dirty dancing music because it's a grand slam. Wow. Not only did Guy get all three votes on the desk, but he won over all the Twitter people, Woo! which is not an easy task because Twitter hates everything. I guess everyone... Dance for us, Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody puts Guy in the corner. There it is. Wow. It's brutal. Wow. By the way, Dirty Dancing filmed where? Virginia Tech. All right. Time now for your final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Delta Airlines. All right, Karen. Yeah, something so out of favor, you got to like it. Alibaba. Lock Owen. Steve. TJX. Guy. That was pretty hokey, Brian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Google. That'll get you done. All right, that does it for Fast Money. We'll be seeing you tomorrow night at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer begins right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.